This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Romans 14? Uh, If you're new, my name is Darren, one of the pastors here. And we're super glad that you're here, especially, look, it's time change uh, weekend, right? Did I hear that there's a candidate running for a political office that's wanting to abolish this? Because I'd vote for that all day long. If y'all, anybody here wants to run for that, no, you got my vote. But anyway, time change Sunday, like second service is always packed because, you know, some of y'all slept in or slept a little longer, and so just how it goes. Uh, But I'm glad that you made it at all, because the other thing that happens is that some people just don't even show up with it. So Romans 14. Um, Before I start that, how many of you are kind of new to Conduit Church? Let's say the last three to six months, like you've been out, you had to try to find a church, right? So a lot of us, you, I guess I've been here a little while longer. (laughs) Isn't it hard to find a church? (laughs) Like some of you maybe are here like your first Sunday today and you're like, I don't know, this is my thing or not. You know, and by the way, whoever comes up with like, like the dating app for churches. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, they're speaking in tongues, swipe left. Well, no, they're actually, uh, what, but they, 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 like John MacArthur, swipe right. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't, like, I don't know where the swiping would be, but I feel like if you could dial that algorithm in, somebody could get uh, pretty rich. Um, it was a few uh, years ago, 15 years ago, that my wife and I found ourselves in a, a not dissimilar situation. We were like, uh, we, we felt like we were moving on and we were supposed to move to, this, uh, to a new church. We weren't sure where. And, and, and one of the churches we, we visited, which was just a lovely church, and we had friends there. And, and, the, and the first Sunday we were there, we um, uh, looked down at the front. I looked down at the front, and there were two little buckets on either side with um, looked like umbrellas on either side. And I thought, oh, that's a little, just in case it rains, I guess. I don't know. It seems like a strange place to put umbrellas. Um, uh, but then I realized it wasn't umbrellas. Uh, it was flags. Have you been to a flag church? Do you know what I mean? Flag churches. Look, in my background, they were BYOF. You had to bring your own flag, but this one, flags were provided for you in case you forgot your flag. And so, look, and here's the thing. I'm not anti-flag. I'm also not pro-flag. You know, I'm, I'm flag neutral. Like, I have no real position one way or the other on, on flags. Um, if you're a flag person, um, we really don't have them here. Uh, if you are a flag person, I, I can actually tell you this church, I think they still have flags and you don't even have to bring one. Um, but the point is, is that in that moment, we're like, this is probably not our church because the statistical probabilities of you ever seeing me taking a lap with a flag, pretty low, you know, unless there's a horse and it's a victory thing. I mean, I, you, I, I'll go for that, but just taking a lap on a Sunday in a flag is probably not going to be something you're going to see me do. Now, is it biblical to have flags in church? Is it not biblical to have flags in church? Yes. Like it, it's, it's neither. Like I, there are good people that think that flags are great. There are good people that think flags are no. And so what that is known as in Romans 14 is a disputable matter. It's a personal preference thing. 100% my personal preference. I can't give you chapter and verse why there shouldn't be a flag. Um, 
can't really give you chapter and verse why there should be one, but be that as it may, it's, it's a disputable matter. So if Romans 12 was about us as individuals and our gifts and working together as teams, and Romans 13 was about uh, what is the church, how do we act and, and, and behave in, in, in the culture and with government, and Romans 14 then is how do we, as a church in general, how do we get along without getting it wrong? And that's pretty much this whole chapter. I'm just going to read you the first uh, few verses of it, uh, verses one through four, because uh, I want to show you where Paul, writing to the church at Rome, remember, there wasn't a First Baptist Rome, there wasn't the Episcopalian Church of Rome, uh, the Second Baptist, and we didn't like that one, so we ended up got a Third Baptist. Like, it was just, there was just the church at Rome. And he said to them in verse one, accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. Once one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Verse four, so who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, I love this, because we're Jesus' servant, and you will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. That's God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us wisdom today? Your word is a light, it's a lamp. The world is dark, but your word is bright. And I pray today as we dive into these important words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, trustworthy, transcribed and given to us straight from the Holy Spirit, Lord, that it would not be an academic exercise, but a Holy Spirit experience for us today. Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters over at Thompson Station Church. God, would you be with Pastor Tom and their whole crew. You're doing amazing things at this church that's been there so long, so much faithfulness there. Father, for our brothers and sisters at Southview Church, with Mark and Leanne, and the Spirit is just all over them and what you're doing there. Lord, would you just pour out your Spirit on them today as well? And for Graceland across the street, Lord, with Nathan, with Nick and Jackie, Lord, that you're doing amazing things there. As, as your name is being lifted high in our city, in this nation, and all over the world, we know that you, Lord, are drawing men unto you. It's in your name, Jesus that we pray, amen, amen. Disputable matters is what Paul is dealing with here. You know, one of the greatest weapons of an enemy, whether it's the KGB in the Kremlin, whether it is even sometimes our own government, is sowing specific disinformation to demoralize and to divide so that when they are trying to attack from the outside, what's happening instead is we're attacking each other from the inside. This is a technique that was not developed in the Kremlin. It was developed in the pits of hell. But it's not just a wartime technique in modern warfare, 
It started in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? He said this, didn't he instead say that? And Adam and Eve, it demoralized them. It divided them from each other and from God. When Jesus was in the wilderness, what was it that Satan did in his temptations? He quoted the word of God to him. And did God really say this? And when you read the words, Satan was actually quoting scripture verbatim. But he was doing something called right information, wrong implication. It's also known as a false witness. Disinformation wasn't designed in the Kremlin. It wasn't designed in Rome. It was designed by Satan himself and deployed to this day. So don't you wonder and think, if this is a technique that Satan has, his greatest power is to lie, would he still be lying today? And wouldn't it be a great strategy if there is a real enemy at the gate to get us fighting inside, dividing over disputable matters, so while we're busy fighting each other, we don't even recognize and see what's happening in the forces that have been darkening in our own nation and globally. Now, when Paul was writing these words, he was writing to a church that was surrounded, it was a church in exile, not unlike many of our churches today. These were real questions and real implications that these people were dealing with. And Paul's saying to them, hey, love each other. Don't get all wound up over these disputable matters. There are real problems in Rome, real people that want to kill you, real people that want to persecute you. Do not let the enemy divide you over something that is disputable when there are things outside the world that are undisputable that could destroy the work that God wants to do. And then you go through this, he actually sort of lays it out in these three little sections. And first is knowing the battle. It's not pick the battle, it's knowing the battle. Picking the battle implies that the battle is us against each other. That's not what it is. Knowing what the battle is, and it is a battle not with fellow believers, but with the enemy himself. The next second is, and then when you get in, okay, know your team. Like which part of this battle am I supposed to be a part of? Not with each other, but now the team that I'm supposed to be a part of. And then the third is what hill? You gotta know the hill. There are hills, there are things that are indisputable. What hill are you willing to die on? What truth are you willing to stand for? And that's the question that we all have to ask now and into the future. What are the things that are actually legitimately worth dying for? So first, the knowing the battle. He says in verse uh, 14, verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1, accept those uh, whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And the idea that he's really saying here is quite simple. The, the reason I'm saying the battle is not with each other is if it's a fellow believer, if we have a dispute over whether which day, which his thing was diets and days, the, you know, the day of which day do we worship on from the Jewish calendar and what should you have in your diet, those were the disputes in, in their day. But he's saying, look, accept that one who's a fellow believer with you. And so if, if it's a fellow believer, it's not a quarrel, it's a dispute. And a dispute isn't something that is fought for, it's something that you settle on. It's a whole different idea. James 4 verse 1 says, where do these fights and quarrels come from among you? And the King James Version actually refers to that as a war. Where do these wars come from within you? 
And so when you come to an issue that is disputable, that, that you might think this, like flags, you might be pro-flag, I might be anti-flag, like could we come together instead of saying that because you're a flag, you must be a hypocrite or you're just doing it all for the emotions or the flag people going, oh, you're just, uh, you're just a fuddy-dud, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Like those are, if that becomes a war, that is us now fighting each other. And I know flag sounds silly because most of you have probably never even seen it before, but, but people have literally fought battles over this stuff, split churches right down the middle of it, over it. And Paul, for that is saying, Man, don't let that be a thing that you quarrel and war over for them again. Diets, Jewish people, kosher, don't let your church split over that. Don't let your church split over the specific things about the, which day of the week you're going to worship on. And he actually goes on to talk about uh, how we do that with each other. How do we now navigate those waters? But before I do that, I want to read to you Eugene Peterson's interpretation of verse one. Uh, You understand the Message Bible is not a translation, it's an interpretation. But sometimes, like when you read it, it just really speaks in a way that's so beautiful, and this is one of those, when he says, welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do, and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department, Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. So when you come to something and someone is doing something that you disagree with, that and maybe it even makes you a little bit angry, Paul's saying, I love Eugene Peterson, hey, calm down a little bit. You don't know where they came from. You don't know their background. In a church like ours, you know, in a room like this, Many of my brothers and sisters, you guys have got a bourbon cabinet that is like people would take pictures of if you weren't home because they want to share. Oh, that's like a lot of bourbon. You've got some freedom in Christ in an area where you feel a freedom there. You have gone to the word of God and said, I've got freedom here. And Paul's laying out a case here to saying, great, enjoy your freedom in Christ, but be careful not to destroy the work of God because your freedom, because in the same room, there are rooms, there are literally brothers and sisters in this room right now who are either currently in alcoholism or recovered from alcoholism. It doesn't mean that you don't get to enjoy your freedom here, but be careful not to destroy the work of God in their life. He's just saying, be careful with this stuff. Don't war over it. Love each other through it. Now that said, I, I want to say this, because in our world right now, there are things and there are churches who are building churches based on things that are actually not disputable. They are indisputably incorrect. And I tried to, I tried to create some kind of like a statement, and, and I went to John MacArthur's side, I went to a couple other theologians, Warren Wearsby, and like, what would a statement be that is like, this is indisputable? Like, if you disagree with this, it's almost like theological Jenga for, like, if you pull this one out, the whole thing falls down. Like, for instance, the authority of the scripture, for instance. If I say that, I do not believe that this is inspired, that this is accurate, that this is authoritative in my life, but I still love Jesus and I want to follow Jesus, that's intellectually untenable. 
The only way I know what Jesus said, the only way I know who Jesus was, the only way I know what he did was from these 66 books. That's it. So to say that I, I, I do away with this, but I still love Jesus, that's just an intellectually dishonest. It's Jenga. The whole thing goes apart. It's a chain. It breaks the whole thing. But these are, and, and you might have a, a couple more in this, but listen to this. A triune God, deity of Christ, the deity of the Holy Spirit. Again, any one of these, you pull them out and the whole thing falls. The deity of God, the Father, the virgin birth, the sinless life of Christ, substitutionary atonement, the literal resurrection. Many progressive Christian pastors will preach that maybe Jesus died, but maybe he, that's just an idea. In fact, one of the things Richard Rohr speaks of is the universal Christ, which is that Christ is everywhere. He's that you are Christ, I am Christ. I don't even know what that means. But the literal resurrection of Jesus is an important thing the authority of the Bible, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Those are things that, that may, that's, you're a believer in you are a follower of Jesus. And there are gonna be people that say, well, I follow Jesus, but I don't do this, or I follow Jesus, but my Jesus does that, and mine, and I love what Costi Hinn says when he goes, man, everybody's got a Jesus. The Muslims have a Jesus. The Mormons have a Jesus. American politics, you have a Jesus. We all have a Jesus. But if you get Jesus wrong, you do not have a Jesus who can save you. John 14, 16, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by him. We can't get Jesus wrong. That is an indisputable matter. And we have to be able to say that Look, whatever flag you want to wave in the church, whatever, the flag we're putting in the ground is the flag that says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father by him. Now, now that I've said that, let's have some fun. Because <laughs> in this room right now, for the most part, none of you are worried about days, none of you are worried about diets. Let me phrase it from a theological sense. I know you keto people are out there. <laughs> and you vegetarians, I know where you are because you tell me. <laughs> I am a, uh, I believe in the vision that Peter had, the pigs in a blanket, man. I am all in, you know, for the... But what about women teaching the Bible? Is that a disputable matter or is that indisputable? Is that a, if I don't believe that, do I have to break fellowship with you? Idea. Because we could war and quarrel and believe me, they do. There are wars and quarrels about an issue like this. And I'm bringing this one up. I, I actually, there was like 20 of them on the whiteboard. I'm like, well, any one of them's going to make them mad. So I'll just, I guess we'll go with this one. Um, uh, because there's issues that we would th think this is indisputable. And, and 
And here's, here's where, for the most part, comes from. Can I give you just a quick, I'm by no means, this is not about to be an exhaustive defense of one position or another. I just want to show you how this matter, I want to show you why I don't think it's indisputable that it is a disputable matter, and how wonderful, brilliant, theological men and women who love Jesus believe one way, and another group believe this way, and does it mean that we have to break fellowship with each other if we don't come to the same agreement on this one? But it, for the most part, they would start in, uh, anybody in this would start in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. Uh, when he says, uh, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing, um, which is kind of funny because most times in a church that never, ever, ever lets a woman teach, there's nobody lifting hands either, but that's just a whole other conversation. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, I'm sorry. That was, that was too polite. That was too much. I also want the women to dress modestly in decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles. This is 1 Timothy 2, 8, 9, 10, 11. Hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess worship to God. And then the verse goes on and says, uh, verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Uh, and he goes, he talks about Adam was not the one deceived. And, you know, the, the, like the verses just keep going here a little bit. But what I want to point out is here's why this is a disputable thing. When I go to Haiti, believe it or not, one of the, when, when everything gets crazy and scary and everybody evacuates Haiti, there's just a handful of crazy Blancs and Mennonites that are in there. It's the craziest thing. Since 2003, the very first flight I ever got on, it was full of Mennonites going to Haiti. And by the way, they are dressed head to toe in plain clothes with no jewelry and no makeup. And it is 110 degrees. It's like they've walked into somebody's mouth, fully clothed, just swampy and hot. And oh. Because they're reading this and saying the whole chapter is for us today. That's a, that is a idea that they have embraced. They still love Jesus. They would still not disagree with anything I said in the previous statement. Now, there are others who would say, we're going to start at verse 11, that a woman should be quiet and not have authority over a woman. So there, you, know, you go to that, that church and they're going to have, the, the women are going to be wearing pretty nice dresses and probably some jewelry and some makeup because they would say that the first few verses, and this is a very, very oversimplified version of, of this argument, uh, is that this, ver like this verse about clothing and, and dress and whatever, that was dealing with some cultural things. But these next few verses, uh, th these are still for today. And then there are still others who would say, uh, that doesn't feel like very good hermeneutics to say that it's either half, right? Or th that half of it is for today and the half of it was cultural, that the Mennonites have a better case. But they, those people would say that maybe that the whole thing was, Paul was dealing with a very specific cultural issue that this is prescriptive, not, or descriptive, not prescriptive, but does it mean that today then that we can't have a, a female teach on a Sunday or a Tuesday or whatever teach the Bible? Uh, th those are the three issues that I, uh, three ways I think you could look at that passage and walk away and say, we're still going back to the Bible to try to decide and try to wrestle and try to figure out what does the Bible say to us. There is a fourth way. And the fourth way says, this is the best that Paul knew at the time. That the Bible is, uh, was an ancient document, but we have progressed. And now we know more. And now that we know more, we can say that everything from sexuality to women to all that, we know better now. 
that belief disqualifies you from being considered a believer because the Jenga happens and the rest of it goes away because now I don't know whether Jesus literally resurrected. I don't know whether Jesus is who he said he is. And in my opinion, atheism is a more intellectually tenable idea than that kind of a Christianity. And so for these other three, you can read that and boy, I would love to have the conversations with you we can speak about it. We can, these are important things to talk about. But do we quarrel about them? Do we war about them, James 4.1? No, because you're not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. No, no, those of us who are in Christ who are seeking wisdom from the scriptures, we stand together and you may have an opinion about this and I might, but as long as we're going back to the word and wrestling from the word to get to it, there's unity that can be found in that. And if you wonder where I have landed after being a pastor for 12 years and a Christian for most of my life, on April 3rd, my friend Dana Gresh will be speaking here on a Sunday morning. Dana loves Jesus. Dana started a ministry called True Girl Ministries decades ago. She and her team traveled the country fighting for moms and daughters and creating events. And at the end of April, we're gonna do a true girl event for moms and daughters right here in our auditorium. But I want Dana to be able to share on that Sunday why that event is gonna be so important. Now, you might not, you might dispute that and you might not feel comfortable with that. Can, can I be honest with you? I love you anyway. It's okay, and I hope you love me anyway. As long as we can go back to the word and say this, this, is where we're gonna find our foundation in. And when I say know the battle, not pick the battle, it's because the battle is not with each other. There's actually a real battle, literally outside of our doors, outside the gates, about gender that has nothing to do with whether a lady can teach on a Sunday and everything to do with whether you as a parent have the right to protect your children from social workers and DSS employees and the government from taking them away from you to want to give them medical treatment to transition them from male to female or female to male. And if you don't believe me, right now in the Texas court system, there is a case working its way through. And if you don't know about this, this is important. Governor Abbott in Texas put a an executive order in place that was saying that when you, as a father or a mother, say to your 14-year-old child, I'm going to honor your decision to want to transition to another sex, that we're going to give you, and, and this is, I, I put this up here because I want you to see this line, considered medically accepted treatments in the New York Times. To, it, medically accepted treatments means for a 14-year-old daughter to receive a double mastectomy to receive testosterone treatments at, at 14. At 14, I wanted to be a rock star. Like, no, like legitimately, that's what I wanted to be. And I thought it was a true option for me. I mean, I was in the bathroom with the hairbrush and the, you know, the fake guitar. I mean, I, how many good decisions did you make at 14? How many decisions have you thought, oh man, dear God, if my mom let me do that, I would regret that for the rest of my life. Now, why does this matter? This is in the courts right now. 
because Governor Abbott put this in place. A court blocked it. It's going to go to the Supreme Court. But let me tell you why this matters. There is a growing movement right now of girls and boys, both in their early 20s, who have gone through this journey of transitioning with dramatic, medically, uh, like literal, undoable, un- you, you can't turn this back treatments that are now regretting it. And these, most of them right now, at least the ones I've read, are not Christians. This girl on Twitter uh, talks about that the one thing she didn't really come to terms with until she wrote this Substack piece that went viral was she was literally being driven crazy by the testosterone. Such a dark, horrible time, not many of my mental health clinicians ever mentioned it, instead diagnosed me with mental illnesses. She goes, I have so much resentment and anger towards the mental health industry. It's not like it was just one person. It was multiple psychiatrists, therapists, nurses, etc. All told me I had a broken brain instead of looking at me as a whole person and seeing that as a major red flag. This is one of hundreds of voices who are in their 20s now who have done things to themselves that are in literally irretrievable, unreversible, and it is not their fault, it's their parents, and it is the medical professionals that stood there and let it happen. In California, It makes you feel any better. It's happening in Florida and Rhode Island and Texas. There was an interview that I saw this week with a mom. She was from uh, El Salvador. She brought her family here when she was younger. And by the time her daughter was in seventh grade, eighth grade, she was saying to her teachers and to her social workers that I feel like I'm a man. I feel like I'm supposed to be a boy. And these social workers and these medical professionals began to what they called socially transition her, uh, calling her by the name she wanted to be called, uh, giving her the gender identity that she wanted to be given. By the time she was 15 or 16, she was told by these workers that if you actually say, report this, that this is considered abuse, and by abuse then you can be taken from your home by DCS, and if you do this, then you will get free medical treatment for your transition, and your mom can't stop it. And so she did, and this single mom sobbing as her daughter was taken away from her by a government to be given irreversible treatments to become a man. That daughter took her own life at the age of 18. This was irreversible. Now, why do I bring this up? Because while we're in here fighting about whether a woman, Dana, can teach on Sunday, April the 3rd, outside the gates, there's a real battle for a real gender, and we've got to be brothers and sisters, men and women of faith. Like, you don't have to go to church here if you don't think that a woman should teach on a Sunday. Literally, there would be no hard feelings, but we've got to be able to find a place to stand in unity, to protect our children, to fight for decency, This is, and somebody might be thinking right now, like your butt cheeks might be super tight because you think, man, he's getting all political. This isn't political, this is principles. There's coming a season where laws right now passing like this, that they could come and say that what I'm saying right now is hate speech and take away our tax, tax status, come get it. 
because we're not backing down from truth. Know the battle. My battle isn't with you if you're a follower of Jesus. Your battle is not with me. You speak in tongues, roll with it, baby. We don't have to break fellowship over that. There's a real enemy at the door. And we as believers in unity cannot let that enemy divide us inside before the enemy comes through the gates for us. Now, the second thing he talks about here is not just to know the battle, but literally know the team that you're on. Like, the idea of knowing your team. Look, that church with the flag people, I love them. And if you're a flag person, I can give you their address. They're still brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know what I'm saying? But that's not my team. It's like in a military campaign, we're all in the same army, but this unit might be here fighting this, and this unit might be here fighting that. Like, look, I'm a recently out of the closet charismatic, like I'm with seatbelts, you know what I'm saying? Like we're not, gonna, we're not going nuts or anything. You know what I mean? We've, I mean, I've ran into, we've ran into walls and so anyway. But, but that's, that's us. But if you're looking for somebody who can prophesy over you every Sunday and think, you know, Mark Rampula, it's literally like 20 minutes or like 15 minutes from here. I love Mark. He's doing amazing things for the kingdom. And he might not want to go to church here, or I might not want to go to church there, but we would go to prison together. We don't have to break fellowship in our faith. Knowing your team, and he actually sort of unlays it, uh, lays it out here a little bit when he's saying, look, it, it, don't put any stumbling block in front of your brothers and sisters. If you think something's a really big deal and you think this is passionate and this is you're really passionate, like don't drive it home into someone else to try to force them to do what you do. Recognize that they're, maybe they're not there yet. Verse 15, he says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. And I take that back to those of our church family that enjoy a lovely bourbon. Don't let it destroy somebody's faith. Doesn't mean you stop. That's not what I'm saying at all. Just saying, in Christ, look around the room. Be wise with the freedom that you have in Christ and don't destroy the work of God for it. He goes on to say this in verse 19. Let's make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. One of the things that we've done here that I believe will do that for our church family, we call it the Conduit Creed. And I, when I say it out loud, it almost feels like a cult. So it's really, it was, just, it was just because there were two C's and it worked, but it's like we didn't really think about it. But, but what we would say is this, like the, 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 the things that are the crucial things, the triune God, the atonement, propitiation, right? Resurrection. Those are things that are, they, they make you believers, but this conduit creed that we put together was basically saying we needed to lay out, like if you're going to have a microphone, so to speak, if you're going to be speaking into the lives of our teenagers, if an eighth grade teenager says, I'm struggling with whether I am a male or a female, I cannot, we will not have a leader in there that would encourage them to explore that. So that's on the conduit creed, that marriage is between a naturally born woman and a naturally born man, one man, one woman. Like we, we just want to make sure that those are things that you would say if you're going to be a, a voice of influence or leader. Man, if you're in the parking lot and you're struggling with this or that, you don't have to sign this. 
that. But, but if you're going to have a voice of influence and in leading small groups or, or, or speaking into people's lives, there are just some things we want to make sure that we're all on the same page with. It's not membership. We don't even have membership. If you start saying we instead of they, you're a member. Congratulations. We are doing this now. You're, you're a member. It's it. By the way, you can find that at conduitchurch.com. Go to about, and it's right there, this conduit creed, and it just sort of lays out what we believe. But the last thing, and I do not want to miss this before I let you out of here today, once you know the team, so, so again, knowing your team, if, if Dana Gresh teaching here on a Sunday is hard for you, and Paul actually goes on to talk about that for some of you, if it's a conscious thing, there's actually a sin element, and I wish I had time to unpack that this morning. But if it's a problem, Dr. Michael Easley is a very dear friend of mine, and he'll, there'll never be a woman teach there on a Sunday, and he would love to have you up the road. He's great. We love him. He, you know, he's, he calls me a mystic, which I, I don't think is a compliment now that I say that out loud. But, I, but, he's, but I'll have to ask him. Doc, if you're watching this, is that a compliment? Um, And if you think that, man, the Holy Spirit stopped moving with the last apostle, uh, that's just not what we believe. I believe the Spirit of God is still moving alive and well today. But if you do, there are churches here for that too. Knowing your team means like knowing this is, where I'm, this is my jet stream of where I'm supposed to be. But the last thing, and I can't, I just can't go, I can't let this end until I end it with this, which is to know the hill, right? Know your team, know the battle. But what hill are you willing to die on? And might I suggest that the right hill is the one that Jesus chose to die on, one called Calvary. When he says that, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, what was the work of God? The work of God was what was done on the cross and it is finished for you, it is finished for me. Do not destroy the work of God. I'm just not that hungry. I'm just not that thirsty. I will not destroy the work of God for that, for the sake of food. The gospel is the work of God. And do not let your quarrels, do not let your disputes destroy that. Because brothers and sisters, we all know that even in our own community that churches have been split apart right down the middle over disputable matters with quarrels and with wars, and sides are chosen, and it's not godly, it's not healthy, it's not the way that the Bible intended it to be. Let it not be so of us. And the way that we don't get to that point is we start at this point, which is the gospel is what matters. What Jesus did for you and for me, that's what matters. And the rest of it, we can have some fun conversations. But let's not allow James 4.1, quarrels and wars because of my desires. And it actually says that, like, because of, isn't it because of your own evil desires that you're fighting? And what he's really saying is, isn't it because you just want to be right? Isn't it just because you want to just stick it and own them and get that YouTube clip? Isn't it that why? Is it, maybe not for you, but for me, for sure, that's what it is. <laughs> I know about halfway through when I'm in an argument whether I am in that James 4.1 mode or whether I am in Romans 14 mode, and I've had to repent more times than I would like to admit for picking those battles and those wars. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, would you show us in our own hearts where we're making disputable matters indisputable? Lord, would you show us maybe not which flag to wave, but which flag we're putting in the ground and where we're going to put it on the hill, the one that you did, which is the hill of Calvary. Because out of that, for me, for my brothers and sisters, because of that, it gives us the power, the love to not want to make my brothers stumble, to build stepping stones and not stumbling stones. Jesus, we love you so much. We're so grateful for your word, Lord, for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.